Hi, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. And what's going on in Toronto? Mm, it's, kind of, it's been warm. Uh, I'm a little bit hungover today. What's going on in New York? It was warm. It is rainy. Um, and it's going to be warm again. But it was crazy warm, like uh, 22 degrees, 72, I guess, in Fahrenheit. No. Yeah. It was weird. Was that warm? Yeah, wow. yeah. Like T-shirt in weather. February? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's global warming. <laughs> Isn't that nice how we, we have to be depressed about good weather? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I was excited because I could, like, barbecue uh, again. What did you barbecue? Just, like, some pork chops. No, I thought you were vegetarian. <laughs> I'm only vegetarian during the day. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, no. I kill pigs at night. Yeah. I, it's the, I told you, it's the werewolf uh, diet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Was it I good? highly recommend it. Did it taste good? Yeah, of course. Barbecue. There's like barbecuing your food. There's nothing like it. It's Do you like, barbecue um, with gas or primals? coals? Uh, gas. It, yeah. I mean, I, I have it piped in. Or do you um, sprinkle some kind of smoke flavor or something? Uh, no, I just don't clean my barbecue. Yeah, that's like the that's secret. The way to do it. No. <laughs> I don't know. People are like obsessive about cleaning their barbecue, and I was like, oh, so you like don't want it to taste? <laughs> you don't like, want it to taste like fire. Yeah. Yeah, you want it to taste like so fire. So today is the barbecue episode. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> barbecue. <laughs> the primal technology of fire and food. Yeah. No, I think you wanted to talk about textiles today, right? Yeah, why not? Yeah. And so you do a lot of textiles. I think. Yeah, I think um, we're both interested in textiles. So. I'm interested in it, but like, I'm, yeah, I'm like, why isn't there more of it? I find like, even in art departments, like you go to a school... It's very rare that they'll have a textile department, but they might have one. But that it's might be only different for like, per country. Is it? Maybe Canada has a textile ban in art schools because every Dutch art school has a textile department. Is it always very big? Like in the United States, they might have one, but it'll be like two students are allowed into the textile department. I'm trying to remember because I went to two different schools in the Netherlands. There's a fashion department, and then there's also a more um, autonomous art approach to textile where it's more about weaving and uh, uh, sort of fundamental mm -hmm. research yeah um, well i was talking but to they an seem artist. to blend like if you're not in that department it just seems like okay that's where the, all the threads are i see yeah because i was talking when i well when i was in grad school the textile department was like very small but i was talking to an artist last week who went to nascad it's one of canada's four art colleges and he went there specifically because they had a jacquard loom mm. um For listeners who don't know, the Jacquard loom is like this very complicated loom that allows you, it uses punch cards, uh, and it, you could actually print something photographic out of textile. I mean, you don't print, it you like weave. weave. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. just uh, so, so we're clear on the difference. Printing means the, the fabric's already woven and you apply ink, and weaving means uh, the threads are colored, and on a sort of pixel by pixel way you create an image by and what is it called like a waft or uh there's two kinds of thread there's the thread that goes above and thread that goes below yeah in, Each, in, like in the dutch crisscrossing the, the the one that's uh goes from uh up top to bottom is called the chain i don't know mm -hmm. what it's called in english and then the other one yeah i, I don't know if this is very interesting because it, <laughs> I, also i don't know so I'm I think it is interesting it. because it's the hi the history. I mean, for this but, podcast, but maybe anyway. maybe just to summarize, I like to yeah. explain it to people like for a three year old. But so textile has existed for a long time, and I think it's a, thousands of years. It, yeah. it, I think 
I guess people started with fur, but at some point textile became a survival method because we don't, we're not very hairy, so we need protection from the elements. I think at least as far back as like ancient Egypt, uh, you know, cotton was being woven. Yeah, yeah. But probably people just plucked sheep and like somehow <laughs> made it work. Like just if you just start plucking a sheep and then just start rolling it with your hands, at some point you have textile. But you're, you know, it's interesting about that. The Europeans weren't even aware of cotton uh, until like a few hundred years ago. And so they had heard that t- as cotton was imported into um, Europe, they heard rumors that in Africa there were trees that had lambs or sheep like as fruit, like actual animals. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you don't would, know like, about the lamb tree? <laughs> yeah, and the, everybody because knows. they were so heavy that the the like branches would bow down, and they and the, so the sheep could eat grass to stay alive. <laughs> so ridiculous. I'm sure someone else in Silicon Valley is working on that as we speak. <laughs> the sheep tree, yeah, oh, yeah, the new. But the so new, the, uh, there's been all kinds of weaving, uh, completely manual, and then semi-manual with a sort of mechanism with. You're sitting on a sort of bicycle mechanism, and it, it makes all the fabric pass by as you. Uh, and if you know knitting, the, the type of stuff you do with two chopsticks in your hands. Yeah. Like, all, all that's before industrial era. And then industrial era came along, and I think punch cards, the idea started in organs. So the, oh, I didn't know that. The, the punch card is a paper scroll or cardboard and it's basically binary information. So you either have paper or you have a hole, absence of paper. Mm-hmm. So it's zero or one. And so in the case of the organ or whatever instrument you have, it's like either a note or no note. And then it says yeah. which note. Um, and, and it the, like uh, literally controls like a lever. Like yeah, a lever, yeah. lever either it's passes like mechanical through the computing, hole. But, but binary. Yeah. And then um, it, uh, it's, it used to be that Elaborate fabrics with uh, designs on them and patterns and, and imagery. That used to be something only for royalty. It, it was mm. so expensive to make and it was a lot of uh, manual labor. And then there was a demand, I guess, I don't know when that is, for the new... Uh, I'm blanking today. Sorry, guys. Uh, the, the, no, the, the new, the new um, what do you call it? Tradespeople. Uh-huh. Like, oh, like... The, like an emerging trade yeah. uh, class of people, like yeah. proletariat, or the yeah, 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 like people people who weren't born into wealth but who acquired wealth through trade, and they were like, oh, I want to dress well and I want to have some flowers on my pants. How mm-hmm. do we do that? Well, it's too expensive to do it by hand. And then somebody's like, oh, these punch cards from uh, music. I guess we can apply those to weaving. And then uh, somebody figured it out, and, and that person was probably called Jacquard. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just being honest here. How. <laughs> uh, superficial my knowledge is but uh, Mr. Jacquard I'm assuming it was a guy cause, yeah and, yeah and, he and, uh, and uh, he's like okay well let's apply this and, and then that was basically the beginning of industry mm-hmm. well so, I mean it came out of the industrial revolution no yeah. I think it was the start of the industrial revolution oh was it yeah I don't, I don't know because I because I mean, it's, it's like the idea of mass manufacturing yeah and it, it was also the beginning of thinking about computers because it was a way of store it was the first digital image format well, I do know that like Jacquard to, you know, every new technology has a demo. And I do know that Jacquard had a demo for his loom, which was a self-portrait, like an ex- like it looked like a painting of himself. And you could only order it on demand. But one of the people who bought one of these uh, images of Jacquard made on his own loom, which frankly, I just like find that wonderful. But one of those people was Charles Babbage. 
Who is that? And, uh, who invented one of the first computers, mechanical computers. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So the, the Babbage computer yeah, was yeah, yeah. Uh, based on the Jacquard loom. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people will trace this history between the Jacquard loom and computing. Um, because that led to the punch card computer yeah. uh, or rumor. And, and for me, all this is a nice anecdote and it, it's a nice story. But the the, <laughs> the nice thing about textile and I think why a lot of digital artists like to work with textile is that it has that same limitation of a grid and on or off and, okay, mm. I can only use five colors as opposed to something like painting where you can use an intimate amount of colors and you can apply the brush in so many, in an infinite amount of ways. And and I, like this, using, I like this sort been, of systems approach. You've been you've been working with textiles for a little while. Yeah. For a few years now. Yeah. But at first, it was hard for you to get in, wasn't it? Didn't you have to visit different factories? I feel like I remember you saying it was hard to source. Well, it started with the... You remember the we movie museum? We were in Istanbul museum? together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, the, there was a residency in uh, Turkey, and there's a lot of cr- different kinds of crafts. Like, they do a lot of carving in metal or woodwork or uh, ceramics, and... I was already working on uh, the abstract browsing software, and I was like, oh, that could be cool, and textiles. So the, the moving museum, they connected us with a, a number of people. Did they ask you to work with local people? Um, not, uh, not necessarily, no, actually. Like, but I did have like assistants on the ground there, and I did like a lot of local stuff in Gezi Park. But you worked, so you worked with, but it's that, that we should talk about the textile aspect, which in Turkey is very traditional, like a thousand year old history of women who do this weaving, right? Well, it, it's funny because every country is like, we have a very special tradition. The same way if you visit a country, they have some drink and they're like, oh, this is a typical drink. You have to try it. Mm-hmm. And it's always fire water. It's always this thing where you go like, <laughs> ooh, oh, like okay, or something. I guess it's good. Yeah. And it's really mm-hmm. the same everywhere. But everywhere, it's always some kind of schnapps. Yeah, basically. and they always say mm-hmm. it's very specific to the region, but it's the same thing everywhere. And I feel like textile <laughs> is the same. There is even a research. There's a type of tablecloth that's uh, red and white checkers, mm-hmm. and it's like 50% opaque red stripes going up and down and left and right, and when they hit each other, it's 100% red. Mm-hmm. Did, did, like a French uh, restaurant. Well, it's fly. French, but it, in in the Netherlands, it's called Bourbonte, and they think it's from that area. And in Denmark, they think it's from their area. And it's just a logical thing when you're weaving. It's like the, the easiest imagery <laughs> right. to make. But everywhere, they're like, no, no, this is special from our country. <laughs> right. so we invented ev- crisscrossing. Yeah, colors. yeah, yeah. And and I mean, I guess it's like cheese. Like every country has different cheese. Mm-hmm. But they're all the same. Yeah, but they will all proclaim like, oh, no, 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 you got to try Turkish cheese. It's much better than yeah. Greek cheese. And, and, I mean, and the French are famous for that. Yeah. Like, no cheese will ever <laughs> compare. No. And then the Spanish yeah. and the Italians. Yeah. And the, yeah. So every country has a textile tradition. Hmm. And yeah, but you were, what, what was different about the way these women were working? Were they doing things more by hand? No, uh, this was a, a, a social service. So just to explain, I wanted to do mechanical weaving, but the mechanical weaving they were doing in Turkey uh, was so limited that they couldn't do rectangles because it would make the fabric fragile. It could only be triangles or stripes. It, it's it's hard to explain on a wow, podcast, but, but it's the yeah. way you construct things that if you have a big area with a, a vertical stripe, the fabric mm-hmm. is just kind of falls apart on the vertical stripe. Horizontal stripes are okay. So there's a reason that you often, it, there's a logic to a material. So it's, uh, there's a reason you often see striped uh, clothing or striped rugs. 
It's really interesting because, as you know, like I was on the hunt for like I want I wanted a rug that was yeah unique. exactly yeah. Um, and I was looking at different cultures and and what they're producing and 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 quite often there was like these standard patterns and and you know you do a little bit research and you're like well this is a royal pattern for this tribe or for this king or whatever like and it, it's just different variations like you said on like stripes or spirals or like you know some but I never really tied that back to the technology itself right. Yeah, and uh, one thing that was interesting is the rug I ended up buying was a Navajo rug uh, with Kristen, and we were really excited about it because it was pictorial. Um, and this this pictorial um, kind of style didn't come didn't really exist until just like twenty or thirty, well maybe thirty years ago, forty at the most. And because it broke with tradition, where you weren't allowed to express yourself. With the textiles, you had to repeat a, new, a pattern that already existed. You could vary the colors, um, and there's a story there too, which is like we were, when we were at this like museum store for rugs, the, the, we noticed like a few really brightly colored rugs, and all, for, for some reason we noticed they were all woven by men, which is very rare as well because textiles actually have a gendered history, and traditionally, at least in Navajo culture, women did all of the weaving. But recently, like that had that tradition was also being broken. But the men took these color uh, risks, which also you, you were supposed to use specific colors, which I found very interesting. So there were all these standards built in to rugs, and at a certain point, different men and women got involved, um, and women were the first to like break out of the patterns and just start doing like wild imagery. So we end up buying buying a rug but, that has. And like, these are all hand woven. They're all hand woven. Yeah. yeah, I think they use some like uh, there's like a there is like a loom that they use as well, um, but it's very manual. It's not like um, I don't think it's like a, a like a, a jacquard loom yeah. where. But like, I, I, I think I've seen a lot of uh, artists now talking about the history of industrialization through textile, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's kind of anecdotal, but you really feel the relationship between a computer and a textile, just seeing it because it's pixelated. That, I think that's just the simplest way of saying it. It's it's a it's a grid of uh, squares. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I'm looking and, over and at you, my rug. And you, you, you can see a, a rug from 40,000 yeah. years ago, and you're like, oh, that looks kind of pixely. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm looking at my rug right now across the room, and it's like, there's like a little bow and arrow and some other little rugs and artifacts that from this person's life in, built into the rug, and it looks like a Zelda video game. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like but, the but inventory. The, I've always been interested in the limited systems. Uh, that's why I like the early internet, and uh, mm-hmm. that's why I like things like uh, uh, haiku or uh, what's the text uh, uh, text protocol on television? Did you have that in Canada? Closed caption. No. Like it, it was called teletext, and it was, I think it was called CFAX in the, for the BBC, mm-hmm. where there was one stripe of the TV signal that they could put information, and then you could pop that up with your remote, and it would show uh, information of which show is coming up or whatever. But it looks really pixelated; it's mm. super low res. You don't know what I'm yeah. talking about? No, uh, I feel like I remember that in the '90s, but it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 here's the, here's the thing though, like your pixelated, um, position no longer exists because of, well, it kind of does, but dye sublimation printing has in the last few years, this printing technology where you can print on any fabric or material 
kind of taken over, not taken over, but like y- you can like is you the can idea print photographically of, is, with a very high resolution. I guess I want to say yeah, like the limitation theoretically of representation on textiles has been completely um, yeah. Well, blown open so by the whole reason I wanted to work with textile is that um, the the pigment is not just in front of you; it's also behind. It's like many layers of this. Uh, material mm-hmm. and you can feel that so anything that's printed is such a thin layer of pigment on top of yeah. something that doesn't have any color so i yeah like i recently did a performance where i painted socks in real time on the internet like a live mm-hmm. uh, sock painting performance and then the technology behind that which is when you ordered a pair of socks it, it immediately just did a screen grab and then like sent that to a printer to print onto the socks and it used a dye sublimation printer so i didn't i never even got a sample pair before <laughs> The performance. So it was funny when I finally got some sample pairs back after the performance. The socks looked great when they were like just sitting on the ground. But as soon as I put them on, as soon as I stretched the material, the color just like it totally like kind of washed out. Literally, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, um, it, you're just creating space between the threads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so the intensity was completely lost. Yeah, and exactly. It, for Christmas, someone bought me a pair of socks by a, a graffiti artist. That were like they commit. I don't know. Some sock company commissions different artists to make socks, and they did a like a weaving process to to create it, and it gave, gave it that pixelated yeah. look. But again, the color, but the color density but was like. It's interesting way that uh, every time, especially with digital technology, things are more convenient, but the quality is less dense. So you can mm-hmm. you can see that in audio, you can see that in projection, and then slowly, first it's the convenience, and slowly over time the quality gets better. But if you look at early dot matrix printers it was really hard mm. to print a photo right but now like maybe 20 30 years later that old quality is very special and you might revisit it and you're like oh that had its own character so you might yeah. you might go back to like oh i, I want to create a canvas that looked like the cafe press socks from the late 2010s well, it's really interesting because, like, one of the first projects I ever did as a younger artist was I worked with a collective, and uh, we got this. We were really into embroidery, and we we took we did this video, and then we wanted to like uh, transfer each frame of the video to embroidery. Um, but embroidery is traditionally like very difficult to do by hand, uh, right? It takes like an extremely long time. There's like, and it's there's and a long part craft of the history fun. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it cross stitch as a child. I remember I did it for fun. Um, but this embroidery machine that we, we got a machine that was robotic. This was like a good 15 years ago. Um, and it was crazy. Like it could, it could almost do this like kind of representation of the image. But that said, like it would get it, it would kind of trip up on itself and it did take a long time. It would take like an hour to produce one frame. Um, but ultimately the quality of the actual thread, it was like what you were talking about was like far superior to printing. It had this like. A, the, when you stack two threads, there was relief. So just like paint, like you would, it would go a little bit higher, right? Well, yeah, added. the light is bouncing around between the threads and it's all getting the same color intensity. Yeah, exactly. But you got this like kind of landscape or, or like texture, um, you know, from the different colors layered on top of each other. And then the, the, the thread itself had a, like a luminosity or like a shimmer uh, that's hard to explain. Yeah. But I've never really done anything more beautiful <laughs> than that. I found like it's it's a part of my early uh, like history. But I, the, I, it's always struck me how wonderful, and I think the same thing with your textiles. Like textile itself is is the same way people talk about the luminosity of painting, um, and 
Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, you just but, don't get that with the printed yeah. version. But then uh, painting is very manual and textile is very mechanical. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So now in textiles, though, people are still always trying to push the the bear the sort of the limits. And like, yeah, I remember a few years ago, people were like, ah, 3D printing is going to be the future of textiles. And they would like trot out these bizarre Yeah, how many articles that, like, were there that 3D printing was going to change everything? You're going to print your sneakers and you're going to... Uh, torrent all these files and you're going to hack yeah. everything and yeah but what i always found fascinating about that is like they would trot out different versions of chain mail over and over again which is like as far as textiles go like pretty like medieval literally medieval right like they'd be <laughs> like oh look we did a plastic version of something that they did in the dark ages <laughs> like plastic it's, the, knife? it's fashion forward yeah. yeah it's so comfortable you can feel like a, a knight in the you know, 13th century um, and but now I think I, I just saw something last week that there's like, and I see I feel like I see it on a routine basis that the, that has evolved that technology, but into it's like shoes, uh, like there are all these new 3D and like mesh printed sh- like mesh made. Is that shoes. what Adidas was doing, where they no longer need people to make the shoes? No, that's different. Yeah, it's not like, printed, but it's they're just trying to figure out. Yeah, I think they're doing like weird, like soul, like the the soul of the shoe is like three D print. I don't well, know why it needs to be three D aspect of fabric. And, and I, sp- I spoke to a robotics engineer, and he said robots are really bad at dealing with soft materials. Mm. So if you think of jeans and all these things that are manufactured at such a big scale, it's still people sewing them, which seems crazy. Right. But it's just because right. the fabric is soft, because textile is soft, machines just have a hard time with it. Well, this is a, a, a I mean, even iPhones been... need people to be assembled. So I, I, I guess, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know the future of robotics, but it seems really weird to me that genes, that you need humans to make genes. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, this was one, one argument someone was making to me the other day. It's like, textiles are like one of the oldest, most advanced technologies. If you think about it in terms of iteration cycles. Yeah, it's like how on... shocks have evolved so far that they're just perfect. Exactly, like it, they're on like iPhone ten thousand in terms of like like textiles, right? They've done so many iterations on the technology to produce it. Um, the, it's just a very sophisticated technology. It's hard to replicate yeah. or disrupt. But it's also that interesting that uh, um, it's it's evolved very far. But it um, w- when people make clothing, when companies make clothing, they have to decide how well they make them, and it's a mm-hmm. balance between price and uh, endurance so you could make jeans that last 100 years but they would be really expensive because you have to weave them much slower uh, so right. and and people love to change trends and change uh, clothes every year so there's always a balance where like how strong do we want this to be how soft do we want this to be and uh, so it, it it's the technology has evolved very far but you still have to make a day-to-day decision of like well how expensive or how shitty what's the balance yeah, and I think it's probably important to remember that the textile industry is sort of like, like historically was also subsidized by a lot of like, like literally by slavery. So it was like a lot of free labor went into the production. And this is still a problem today, which is like, um, we want these advancements, but we can't afford them. And so how do we, you know, get what we want? We sort of find ways to abuse human labor, even though it's about the history of mechanical production. Uh, it's equally about a history of sort of like... Uh, basically power. What, and what cotton do you use for your turtlenecks? That's a good question. What cotton do I... I just bought a new turtleneck. 
Um, you you know that him. Mitch Hedberg joke about turtlenecks? No. Like, wearing a turtleneck is like having a really weak person strangle you all day. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've definitely I've heard that one for sure. Uh, yeah, or like a little gentle hug uh, on your neck. <laughs> yeah, just like having someone strangle you. Um, yeah, uh, well, I guess like, yeah, so maybe moving into like, you know, what's going on in, or, you know, people are trying to do in clothing and smart clothing. For years, I feel like they've been trying to get electronics into clothes. And, you know, there's conductive well, they, thread, I, yeah, and there's these I, microcontrollers. They just, they just want technology to be consumed at the pace of fashion they're like oh we could sell stuff seven times a year instead of once a year right so it's like you know yeah fast fashion plus i actually think it's a li- i'm gonna make an opposite point which i think it's like they because no one's done this yeah everyone uh, you would expect that given if it was a technology company people would be trying to establish a platform and by platform i mean like uh like something that everyone else could with a technology yeah, like something everyone else could build on top of. If you think about it, the Jacquard Loom was kind of like a platform. It was like a patented technology that allowed people to reproduce a certain result and for the technology to be licensed. Um, and we, there's, But in, in technology now, you would maybe, if you're creating a pair of smart clothes, you'd want to create some open standards and then license at those standards. Mm. Um, I think like... So you want to move towards the sort of back to the future clothing where it, it adjusts to your body and the weather and... Well, I feel like there was a lot of innovative thinking like that. Even all when I was a kid, there was like Reebok pumps. I remember, and like, <laughs> you know, uh, there were different technologies that were being explored to change. It was always about K- fit. Kids always have like. those cool s- shoes with the lights in them. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine the other day I was like, "What are those shoes you're wearing?" He's like, "They're Reebok pumps, but they were like brand new. They just like just They'd recently come it. out." Yeah. But it was still just like a little air balloon yeah. <laughs> that like filled. Just tying um, shoelaces is so much work. But the thing that I think I always come back to is like this, um, this speculative vision. And you see like Philips come out every once in a while with some demo of like a shirt that's also a screen. Um, and I thought it would be interesting for us to come back to that because like you're talking about textiles and pixelation. They're always trying to Im- like embed some kind of LED or something in the clothing. And it's this very low resolution screen. And, but a screen already exists, right? Like, literally, uh, your shirt is a screen, as you were mentioning earlier. It's like this pixelated thing. But I guess it's the ability to refresh the image or, like, you know, I have stripes yeah, right now. It's, but it's, I could... it's, it's also funny that they keep trying to invent the flexible screen. And I just don't know why you would want a screen to be flexible. Well, because then you could have clothes made out of it, Rafa. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, oh, we can have a phone that you can bend. It's like, why do I have to bend my phone? the same with the transparent uh, tablets that you always see in movies because it's more photogenic and like oh we're going to invent the transparent ipad it's like i don't think it's very good to watch a movie on a transparent screen well there's this textile artist or i don't know i guess i'll call her an artist here in canada named joanna brzezowska and she um she does all these textiles that have um muscles built into them or like that's how they talk about it and so the textile itself has this autonomous, living, breathing... Is, um, is it that there's of, different threads that expand and contract differently with temperature? Or how does it work? Yeah, they, sometimes it's with temperature, sometimes with electric, uh, like electricity. Hmm. But basically the idea is that the clothing is in symbiotic relationship That's funny, with you could the just, person wearing it. You could it. just put an animal, like a furry animal in the... In the gallery, and if it's breathing, it's expanding and contracting, and there's textile. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I just there saved was, yeah, you a bunch of time. You can go on vacation. Yeah, 
I believe that's the fur trade. <laughs> yeah, but you just don't you leave the animal Should alive we talk around about your fur, neck. The furry <laughs> subculture. <laughs> oh, you want to talk about furries? I don't know much yeah, about it's a, it. A left field, but uh, for sure, <laughs> like yeah. I don't know how it relates to the history of textiles. No, but no, some no. people do want to address. I, I do animals. think, in, in terms of innovations, um, I, I think adding uh, screens to your jacket or like the uh, Google made the collaboration with Levi's that your jacket has basically a Bluetooth remote in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, actually, like all that friend- stuff seems okay, but what does seem cool is the sort of cutting edge of uh, camping gear and where you can just have a thin layer and always be comfortable, not too hot, not too cold. And I feel like there's been a lot of advances in that in the last 30 years. Right. Well, I feel like that's what Uniqlo wants you to think. It's like <laughs> you walk into their store and they're like, we have the new heat tech technology with yeah. insulate, da 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 da. And so you're saying like, well, I don't know if you noticed at the Olympics, everyone was wearing the scent of like very shimmery, thin uh, that was the like whole jacket. Wasn't that the whole uh, sci-fi um, when people thought, what what do people look like in the future? And like, oh, it's silver leotard. <laughs> right. We, it's like we always come back to that on the podcast. Yeah. But I guess the good point I'm trying to make or get at is like all these improvements actually seem quite gimmicky of late. Um, and textiles being such an old technology but such a mature one as well. Um, it's really hard to disrupt. It's but, like but some things are like just a, well enough alone. Something like a down jacket and the, and the thin ones that you have now and maybe artificial down. Those are new mm-hmm. things that you can have a lightweight warm jacket. Right. I mean, that's yeah. that if you think of the history of it. I mean, my, pa- my parents used to wear back in the day like wool underwear. So I feel like we've come a long way. <laughs> it was really itchy. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I guess, I mean, Europe was the furthest behind in textiles, right? Yeah. Probably. Um, because textiles started in Africa. What I, what I haven't, what I'm wondering is if uh, uh, people haven't figured out disposable clothing. Like they haven't, I, I, I wouldn't be for it, but mm-hmm. we don't use. Um, haven't you been to a hospital? There's a lot of disposable clothing. Yeah, there. exactly. But it, it's not it, like if you want to up the cycle of people buying clothing, then disposable. Yeah. Like mm, the idea of wearing a, a handkerchief and, and blowing your nose in it and throwing the washing machine. We don't do that anymore. Right. We take a Kleenex and we yeah, just throw it away. Yeah. So that's like become diapers, normal. And then it, it, like reusing diapers and boiling them yeah. and all this stuff seems really dirty now. So I could imagine in a few years, there's like people like, oh, you're washing your underwear? That's gross. Mm. What I find interesting is like, I'm sure you've uh, purchased a pair of jeans and the person, uh, maybe you haven't in your life, but you know that there, there's denim that exists and the, and the guy at the store will tell you like, oh, don't wash those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you'll ruin them yeah right and you're like wait a second don't wash them like um, that's another mitch hedberg joke he's like <laughs> i'm wearing a shirt it's dry clean only which means it's dirty <laughs> yeah that's right it's like always dirty yeah um but yeah i think like uh, i don't know we're we've reached sort of a I don't. If yeah. you were to go to disposable clothes, it would have to be like I've but seen stuff. Disposable where it's like, fabric is just not soft. I think if if it if they had figured out soft disposable fabric, it would have happened. But you're making a really good point, actually, which is like all these new technologies, the dye sublimation stuff, the, um, which no one ever talks about, like the 3D printed stuff. Uh, well, let's go back to the dye sublimation. It's really a hideous material. It, it usually has like a light. It doesn't rub feel blend. good. No. Yeah, so it's like wearing a polyester suit, basically. Um, and yeah, you can. It l- allows you to like 
look cool, like have a good point logo on your <laughs> on your shirt, but uh, it doesn't really feel cool. Um, no, and it's and it's the same with Back to the Future. I think Doc comes back to the present, and he's he, he wants to buy some cotton underwear because they don't have it anymore in the future, and he's, he still <laughs> likes that best. That's awesome. I forgot about that. Yeah. Anyway, I, um, I don't know. Like, I, I'm I'm not sure where else to go with this topic. Actually, with the with the good point, I, the only good point I have is like that we've reached a good point with textiles, and I'm not sure. Like, a friend of mine working in Philips Lab to create these like textiles that that ch- that are like screens, and I think the technology is not far enough along. So she wears for a year. She's just been wearing green outfits, and then uh, doing green screen like post-production to like demonstrate the different patterns that sh- she can change on her outfit. Mm. But but for a long time, I've thought about, aug- I always thought augmented reality, that was the future of fashion. The future of fashion is actually not physical, it's virtual. Um, and But I don't hear very many people talking about that. Yeah, I mean, if, if that's the future of a sort of matrix future where you're living in a pod with in a sort of gel uh, cocoon... <laughs> You I didn't need to go right there right away. <laughs> what I meant to say is like, imagine you're all, everyone's wearing augmented reality glasses. You could all wear white unitards and that becomes the platform. Yeah, this is what yeah, I was yeah. trying to get at earlier with the platform for software to be hung, if you will, is, on your body. Yeah. I don't know how much you think about clothing on a daily basis. Uh, you just go to Uniqlo once a year and you don't think about it too much. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the routine uh, or how, how does it work for you? For me? Well, yeah, like I'm stereotypically... Um, though not necessarily prescribing to all the gender norms of, of masculinity. I don't, I, I love clothes, but I don't like going shopping for men's clothes um, because I find it like incredibly limiting. It's very, it's always depressing each time I go look at men's clothes. I'm always like, there's like three kinds of shirt you can have. In the <laughs> Do you ever like think of, two of, types of, of pants. having clothes made? Designing clothes so when, Yeah, when I was a child, I had, uh, I was from relative privilege and I had my own, uh, clothing designer that worked for me <laughs> i'm serious my mom is a friend, friend of my mom's she had a brand called kitteru so all my clothes were custom made yeah i think that's one of the bougiest things it was all downhill from there it was yeah well, it, the it, pinnacle it, it, of it's life. funny this silicon valley ethos that uh, maybe you don't subscribe to fully but i think you're kind of like mm-hmm. okay let's just keep clothing functional so they don't have to think about it it's sort of zuckerberg uh, steve jobs thing of the uniform well, the point I'm actually with the projection I want to make is that I think that clothes will become very functional. And then like the way we're going to express ourselves through clothing in the future is actually going to be a combination of software. And it's, it sounds really silly, but it's already happening. If you look at how people um, express themselves on Instagram or in virtual spaces, like, like the Snapchat games, filters. Well, like, look at the te- if you look at the history of textiles through video games, you might be like, wow, like in World of Warcraft, like people, you know, they go crazy with how they're, they're dressed. Or we've talked about Second Life. When you give people the ability to, it's, this is actually really interesting. It's a really good point. Textiles traditionally have not been in the hands of the people that wear them outside of the traditional craft, the tra- tra- mm-hmm. craft traditions I mentioned, yeah. like the Navajo one. They've used, the, after industrialization, yeah. Making clothes became somebody, the domain yeah, some, of industry. Somebody made the point that with clothing, it kind of the same thing happened as with food. It, the, the quality went down for convenience, and so people stopped wearing suits. And mm-hmm. uh, but it, that doesn't mean it's a good direction. 
Yeah, I mean, and I guess there are still these people who make these bespoke suits and things like that. But generally, it's like when you go to the grocery store and there's like the butcher with fresh meats and or the, the fishmonger. And then next to that, there's the packaged version of the exact same food. And the number of people that go up to the human to ask the butcher for a specific cut of meat is far lower than everyone that's just like, no, I'll take the packaged one because I don't want to have to interact with the oh, human. Oh, really? Meat. I thought it would be the other way around. You haven't noticed this before? Even well, at, I like, always go to the person, but... Yeah, well, that's because you're European. But like, <laughs> if you <laughs> in in Toronto, definitely, I go I go up to the person maybe one times out of two, because um, I think the quality is better. But if I'm, but most people just like like sheep go straight for the package stuff. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, I have no argument, no moral, whatever. It, if you just want to wear great t-shirts and jeans, and uh, it's easy, and you don't want to think about clothing, that's fine. It's it's just. When you see other cultures uh, historically and uh, you, you mm-hmm. watch movies that take place in historical times, it's like so much imagination and love went into the clothing. Yeah. Isn't that more interesting than gray t-shirt and jeans? But so You're referring to the Zuckerberg gray t-shirt yeah, and jeans. Because he has one standard out yeah, as an optimization. And Steve Jobs had a, a black turtleneck and jeans. And so they didn't mm-hmm. want to think about clothing. But then if you watch a Kurosawa movie and you see the amazing... Uh, kimonos they were wearing it's like, yeah it, it, it's this weird um, contradiction of, of silicon valley where they want to optimize things and don't think about enjoyment it's a very calvinist approach like uh, mm. food becomes soylent uh, fashion becomes uh, uh, jeans and uh, architecture becomes glass dome and i don't know yeah it's a, it's a really weird world it. When you think about like what makes fashion great, because if you um, ask them, they're all about creativity. We want to enable creativity. That's all they but say. I think, as you know, like the, the you know the common trope is that it's nerds that were unfashionable, and so they don't. It's something they don't understand. But and anyone who is super fashionable, and I'm not saying I necessarily am, knows that like fashion is actually kind of hard to keep on top of because it's about breaking the rules at the right time, right? Like it's it's a pretty much cyclical, but it's always about Okay, on this is what's in style, and so at the at a very precise moment, we're going to switch that up, and and be very confident about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 it's probably going to be about breaking something that rule that we said yesterday was a rule. Now today, but it's if not you, a rule, it, that's maybe modern fashion that's about fast cycles. But if you look at, mm-hmm. for example, Malevich, the, the painter who made the the black square. Yeah, um, he was really into the fashion of farmers in. in Russia in nineteen uh, teens, and he made yeah. a lot of paintings after his abstract phase of of these people in very colorful clothing, and they didn't buy new clothes every week, but they just had really colorful clothing, and it was part of uh, uh, part of their enjoyment of life. The same way Navajos had a part of enjoyment of life. So this this suspicion of enjoyment of life is very strange. It's uh, mm-hmm. uh, this. Uh, and I understand what I do understand it because I started wearing suits more. There's something about if you dress up too much, you really limit what you can do. Like all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh, let's jump in the river." It's like, "No, I can't. I'm wearing a suit." Uh, well, I mean, I'm not. Are you jumping into the river? Right? <laughs> I, yeah, but it's weird. Like if if you're yeah, you can't you, even you, run. You can't you, use yeah. a bicycle. I'm not saying a suit is not the best example, but like someone in a ceremonial. A garment of whatever culture, whatever ancient culture, whether it's a, yeah. a kimono or an African dress or where, wherever it's from, mm-hmm. it, it, the whole 
idea of expressing yourself in clothing means you're limiting your movement and you're making things that are delicate. It's it's the opposite of practical. So, so really if you like want a practical you're saying, you're life, saying, yeah. then I understand mm-hmm. that you want to limit your clothing. But one of the more interesting points you've made throughout this podcast is that like that's traditionally been tied to a social hierarchy. So those but not with even wealth and because power. The, the no 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 that's a that's a narrow view because if you look at the paintings mm. of Malevich, these were farmers and they had very colorful clothing. I see. Um, yeah. And if you look at Navajos and or different native cultures, they express themselves through clothing. And so this idea yeah. of Silicon Valley progress and like we're only going to make progress if we never sleep. Uh, we figure out some drugs that keeps our brains active at all times, so we keep uh, upping user engagement, and we just wear great clothing. Um, yeah. it, it, I don't know. It, it's it, it, these fundamental choices of how they behave have a huge impact on on uh, the technologies they develop, and those have a huge impact on how we live. Well, it's funny because last night I was at a, a party, and uh, I was talking to someone, and I overheard, "I, I want to become a UX designer," and so I was like. UX designer. Oh, I, I hire and, and train UX designers all the time. I hire what do you want? Why do you want? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Like, w- w- what's your background? In? And he says, well, I went to school for fashion. And I was like, I was like, wait, stop. Why do you want to be a UX designer? <laughs> he's like, well, it just seems like that's the way everything's going. And I was like, but you, you know, fa- you're a fashion designer. That That's the way everything is going. What are you doing in fashion? Like, fashion is the oldest technology. It's also like where, you know, wearable computing is going and all of this. There's all kinds of stuff that's like, don't go to, don't go to a software. He wanted to go to like a software train at like boot camp. And I was like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you go like investigate the future of, of fashion? Like, yeah. wh- what are you doing? And uh, it, the thought hadn't occurred to him because he didn't know that people were working with uh, fashion and technology and figuring out uh, you know, yeah, some of the stuff a, that we've been bullshitting about. He had a key about. selling point and he was ignoring it. Yeah, and he, and he was, uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that Silicon Valley, I think, is, on, is set to expire on it. Yeah, and you can yeah, even exactly. see this in the, you can see this in the products that they're, they're, they're chasing and the people that they're trying to attract to their teams now. So it's like Google's trying to get like interior designers and fashion designers and like, yeah, because they've, you know, they've figured out the, the, the simple, the, the logistics and now they have to add the sauce and the flavor. Oh, they need to make it expressive, yeah. right? And, but, but it's the, like when, the, it's funny that you say there's this, um, with textile and art and uh, clothing and fashion, there's this idea that it's a luxury. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, uh, I, I, we should be very careful thinking of enjoyment as a luxury because it's like, I, why I are you a human? So this idea, no, fancy clothing is only for aristocrats. Nice architecture is only for rich people. We should make <laughs> these gray blocks that fit everyone that are as cheap as possible. And then people are miserable right, right, and that's right. not a good life. You're making sort of the like you know traditional communist argument, which is like everyone should wear just one jumpsuit. Yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> it, it, like. it's it, I've never lived in a society where in in uh, someone I knew was writing an article about fashion in China f- over hundreds of years. So there was this period in communist China where everyone wore the same sort of jumpsuit, which mm-hmm. ironically Hillary Clinton was kind of wearing. Uh, and people what? are speculating like the pantsuit is kind of like a, ch- oh, okay. a communist suit but um, it wasn't obligatory or mandatory to wear that it was just social pressure you were a good communist mm-hmm. if you were wearing it so everybody wore it but there was no law there was no punishment if you didn't wear it mm-hmm. but then I was thinking wow so imagine 
you probably had three of those suits in your closet and you were wearing one and if one is dirty you wash the other and then your whole life you never think of clothing you just you just don't have to think of, you can think about cooking you can think about music you can think about theater it's just clothing it's funny it, it also opens up a lot of brain brain space so it's just a matter but don't of, forget like ideologically speaking within that culture standing out as an individual would be seen as an act of dissent yeah, right yeah, yeah. and so it's the worst you, thing you, you could would, do yeah, and so I think like working in, in some ways it's beautiful because everyone works as one organism. In another way, it's depressing because you know one doesn't have the right. to Yeah, express it's like the, that movie THX eleven thirty eight that was George Lucas's first movie, and everybody's yeah, yeah, head yeah. is shaven and they wear a white leotard or white outfit, so it's remove all identity. But it also reminds me of you know like ten years, well, maybe it wasn't ten years ago, but how uh, uh, however long ago K hole you know did. <clears throat> that project where they like uh, introduced Normcore, this idea that in a society that's monitored by the NSA and like where we're constantly being surveilled, the most like fashionable thing you can do is look like everyone else. Uh, because to stand out in even in America, which is you know all about individual freedom, is now actually potentially dangerous. And so you know, cool chill thing to do is to like look like a mom or dad from like uh, New Jersey suburbs or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and then but, that actually yeah. ca- caught on as like a fashion trend. But then for if you if you dress two. like that and you're in uh, New York, then you stand out. I do feel like that we're in one of the most depressed fashion periods uh, in ever in the history of time. If you just look at like the like the nineties, because in the nineties I wore like jungle pants and like like weird like bobbles and <laughs> like my hair was crazy. I could have been young, but like, I don't see kids, w- you know, with like backpacks that are stuffed animals anymore. And then in the eighties you had like run DMC and Michael Jackson Miami and all Vice these like and, yeah. Miami Vice. Yeah. There's just so much going on in seventies. Like don't even get me started. <laughs> like bell bottoms and like huge collars, like the collars, like, like half of your shirt. And, and then the sixties, like flower power, polyester, I guess like, all these weird printed kind yeah, of yeah. clashing color, like clashing it, it, colors. How funny, amazing like, was that? I really haven't figured it out in my head at all. Like I really enjoy wearing nice clothing. And then if I see pictures of myself and I really dressed up, it's like, oh, that's great. But then when I have to travel, it's like, oh, I wish I just had three t-shirts and a pair of jeans and it was just carry on. And so mm. I'm always sort of hovering in between the two uh, modes of operation. And it like, when Christina dresses up, I really enjoy it as well. And it, it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you're like going to the dry cleaners, and you it, it takes a big part of your life. Yeah, well, that's why there's this like you know trend towards, especially I think for for men, this like idea of um, clothes on deli- like that are subscription services. So don't worry about buying socks or underwear. We know that you're too busy. Yeah, to think I, about I that. actually enjoy shopping. Like, I really do. I, I like mm-hmm. following it. So I, I, the idea of having it delivered and making no choices, it seems, it's not for me. But uh, but I do know that you even like have a standard pair of jeans you've been wearing for like a good decade. Like your Levi's 501s. Or no, they like that, keep right? changing. That's the other thing. They, uh, whatever fit, they, they keep changing it. So it's weird. But I thought that you were always telling me, because I, like, I, I wear Uniqlo. And you're like, oh, Jeremy, you got to go to Levi's because there's a standard fit. Oh, like I can't remember. But uh, <laughs> I, I wore a bunch of different things. But... Yeah, so there's this always this sort of contradiction between practical and beautiful, but I feel like there's there's plenty of indigenous cultures that merge the two. That's maybe mm-hmm. maybe that's my good point is that 
we've learned that there should be a contradiction between beauty and practicality and that you you mm-hmm. could merge them. I do think that basically every 19-year-old uh, knows this and then it's kind of beaten out of you as you get into the workforce. Because when I was like between the ages of 19 and 25, I did just that. And the way I did it was I went to like the Salvation Army or the thrift store, the Goodwill, whatever the thrift store was locally. And because the fashion was cheap, it was like $2 for a shirt. I would get like the most outlandish things just to try even once. Uh, yeah, and it was you're, really and you're like ruining the environment because it's already made. Yeah, like I wasn't worried at all about that. In fact, I had a girlfriend at the time and she bought her clothing by the pound. Yeah, uh-uh. So she would go to this store where like they just had huge tubs of clothing, which was sometimes pretty disgusting. But like she'd be like, well, I need like two pounds of clothes. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's funny. I'm, I'm thinking about Japan. It, like Also, there, there's a general um, attitude in the West, I think, that when, they, when you think about uh, food, it's either mm-hmm. you choose healthy or delicious. But the two, you can't merge them. Mm-hmm. So do you want a green smoothie or do you want a cupcake? And, you know what I mean? But, yeah, and then but you I have feel to like feel we're... bad about enjoying the burger. And then I thought, oh, I'm in Japan. This is the best food in the world. And they're the healthiest people. So they've merged the two. They don't have this contradiction mm-hmm. of uh, delicious and healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think you're also getting at, which is like there's, a, there's like a kind of globalization has led to a single appearance or look. Uh, that's universal across yeah. the globe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what we've lost in in that globalization is this, like, the cultural yeah. expression and, and that the, we once and had. What, what's regional. funny is that basically globalization is still the British Empire. Yeah. And it, the British invented the suit, which is great for British weather. It's it's not too hot, it's not too cold, and it's a few layers, and it's mm-hmm, perfect mm-hmm. for walking around London. And they're like, yeah. okay. We're gonna. This is the, the the symbol of a professional man, and uh, I'm saying man intentionally. This is the mm-hmm. the idea of someone who's in control, who's making decisions. So everyone around the world wants to look like a boss. So if you want to look like a boss, you dress in a suit. But yep. some countries are too cold, and some countries are too hot. Like it, a friend of mine growing up, we were the same age, and we would always go to the beach together in Rio. And then I ran mm-hmm. into him. He's a lawyer now, and he's. It's like. 37 degrees, 100% humidity. I'm walking to the beach in shorts and I run into him and he's in a black three-piece suit sweating like crazy. So (laughs) it's this weird idea like, oh, this British suit, but you have to wear it in India, you have to wear it in Brazil. And uh, and it's it's a really clear symbol to me of uh, globalization where you try to apply something that doesn't fit and you just waltz over whatever knowledge there was. Well, yeah, I want to kind of mention for a second then that like, you can you can play with that norm like i mean as in my performance attire i always wear these like denim short shorts and as you know a white turtleneck and what's really funny is like in I, sometimes i speak at business conferences and i wear the same thing and for some reason it gives it actually makes me feel a, a lot more powerful because everyone is in a suit and they're like looking at me obviously like i'm crazy um, but in that standing out in that environment, everyone looks the same. They like they all look the yeah. same. And it, but a that, friend of mine, I, I disagree a little bit there, because yeah. suits are, they seem the same. But when you mm-hmm. start looking at details, and I think that's the difference. Oh. It's the same with abstract painting. It's like yeah, that's all just a bunch of geometry. It's like no, somebody mm-hmm. applied the paint more gentle, and somebody put, you know, right. So. So they're all it's, like, it's like more, nice pocket square. Yeah, and I'm like, or not even. It's just like, oh, there's a good shine on the fabric. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's yeah, something. Yeah. It's same way with sushi. It's like all all sushi is the same. It's like no, I don't think so. I guess I wanted to say that because like a friend of mine, you know, sort of um, once said to me like, if you're speaking at a conference or if you're in one of these business scenarios, the one thing you want to you want to do is make sure that no one when the next day when people think about the event. They remember you, not for necessarily even what you said, <laughs> but how you looked. Like because it's so hard to stand out in that environment. Most people just like kind of forget everything, and so he always wears these like ridiculously loud pants, or he has mm. always has some wardrobe uh, malfunction up his yeah. sleeve, like something that's uh, a little risque or funny or different. Um, and he just said it's like a very simple trick. I have also mentioned on this podcast previously, like Steve Martin. Um, you know, he did the. He always wore white suits, right? And the white suit is like one of the boldest thing you, things you can do in suits. Like, if you want to walk into a room, like wear a, either a colored suit uh, or a white yeah. suit. And he did that because he wanted his gestures on a big on a stage. It's also a always a black background. Usually, a, sta- a stadium is a black background. So it, then you yeah, become so he like, could a, stand like out. A, a, a very graphic, almost like a symbol from a distance. Well, yeah, because he's actually quite a physical comedian. Yeah. His gestures would would be exaggerated. Also, but, you and know I think, Tom Wolfe, the author? He always wears yes, a white yeah. suit. And he was talking about how in Silicon Valley, everybody dresses in hoodies because they think they look young. Because the whole thing is to look young and innovative <laughs> and crazy. <laughs> but he says, you look young when you dress very adult, but you're younger. So if, if you're 40 <laughs> years old, but in a really good suit, you look kind of young. Because usually only older mm-hmm. people wear that. But if you're 40 years old in a hoodie, you just look haggard. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, yeah, it, it, I think it, like... It, when we talk about fashion, the concept of retro is also funny. That uh, you can ironically mm-hmm. wear like a little bit too big 501s and wear them a bit too high. And you yeah. can do that when you're young because you're like, oh, you, you weren't there in the 90s. But if you're 50 and you're wearing that, it just looks like you never updated. That's true. That's true. There is one more good point I wanted to make about that on the retro theme is that a lot of people don't realize that they just assume that um, people dressed pretty boring in like the 1930s, 40s, 50s and 60s. Like, you know, when black and white photography existed, people assumed everyone was wearing black and gray, right? Because that's all they can see in the photos. But um, fluorescent... Uh, textiles were made available uh, beginning in like the 1930s and 40s and became popularized in the 50s and 60s and so a lot of men in england i don't know if you know about this micro trend were wearing fluorescent suits yeah yeah you, you think I of like suits should the, be these boring the colors. movie the, the umbrellas of cherbourg mm-hmm. it's also a very colorful fashion in the 50s it's nice is about that oh interesting yeah. um but i've always found that funny because people assume that these like period you know the period attire was you know super dull but like you're right like no i spoke to um uh, malcolm mclaren the the guy who founded the sex pistols and he made clothing with vivian westwood and i was Mm -hmm. asking what was the inspiration for the punk haircuts where did that come Mm -hmm. from because dali had made this uh ideas of the haircut of the future and it was basically a punk haircut in the 30s but he said they got it from in the 19th century, at parties, people would dress up as Native Americans to make fun of them, and they would wear Mohawk wigs and things like that. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, it wasn't the most politically <laughs> correct time. But so he was like, okay, well, that's the most fucked up haircut we can think of, so that's what we'll do. <laughs> that is crazy. I didn't know that. Now you know. Uh, <laughs> now I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that's, that's probably sufficient good points. I will say, like... Um, I mean, we haven't talked at all about like personal 
personality and, and like, also and clothing and, 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 and clothing and war and soldiers and and like scaring the enemy with clothing mm-hmm. camouflage yeah. there's like there's a lot there's a lot more to, to, to unpack. unpack yeah and and Maybe and what return. i do like is um there's really old fabrics that have uh, old tapestries that have somehow survived and it goes back further than painting i think because textile has this reputation of being uh, fragile but there's mm-hmm. just these textiles that are tens of thousands of years old and they somehow survived so well the rug i mentioned that we bought the navajo one Kristen is really anxious because i insist that it be put on the ground in our living room and she's anxious that like um it's gonna get ruined uh and that we should hang it but i'm i'm very insistent that it be on the ground because it's a rug um and i don't know like i don't know how i feel like i know that ru- certain rugs you are meant to be hung you can put a piece of glass on top of it <laughs> well i just i i was uh growing up you know like because it's made from this very hardy wool material and it's like used to being in the desert so i was like shouldn't it be able to survive our living room? i i <laughs> i think it's nice to enjoy it as a rug but it, it yeah. also you you kind of stimulate creativity by destroying things so then you have to get a new rug and somebody has to make that so. yeah exactly yeah so I, I I've been watching this uh, pretty bad TV show called Last Man on Earth on on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it, but basically like the idea is like all of humanity's been wiped out by a virus, and um, so this one guy, uh, you know, the, that's the hero, not the hero, but I guess the protagonist in the in the show, he's like he goes around like just stealing all the best paintings and textiles and decorating his home with them. And he like uses the constitution as toilet paper <laughs> like that. But ultimately like um, it kind of like made it, you know, makes it obvious to you that like we really treat uh, history with this kind of preciousness uh, that makes it difficult uh, to enjoy the present. Anyway. So I'm much more about enjoying the present as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Are you uh, about enjoyment? I don't <laughs> <laughs> As you know, I like trying to slip that in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think no, I, am, I, I think but, you really uh, enjoy time with people. That seems to be. A, I do. Yeah. I, I was at a party last night, and I don't think said, you ever have guilt thing? about hanging out with people. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Yeah. I need an excuse to do it though. Yeah. Anyway, and I'd love to hang out with you more often. Well, um, ever since we started for... this podcast, that has not happened. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we ran into each other for a few minutes, but uh, that's okay. Anyway, um, we don't have an ad this week, as you might have alluded to, so no one is taking advantage no of our free advertising, advertising platform. No one's advertising their fashion projects. Mm-hmm. Like, we had printed matter and then suddenly nothing. Um, though I guess we had uh, that... Uh, we had meet the Band. We had some Meet the Band last yeah. week. We, have, we don't have any new field recordings, which is a we huge do. disappointment. Oh, we do? Yeah, we got the frogs in the do rice paddies. But it's not brand new. Oh, no. But uh, people haven't <laughs> heard our, it. So uh, our friend yeah, Tom Johnson sent us a whole folder of field recordings, so we're just slipping them in. And Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything against Tom Johnson. I'm <laughs> all for, this could just become, it's a three-person show and Tom Johnson's field recordings sink yeah. in. But, but uh, it would be, it would be so great to get some more So just to variety. recap, Tom Johnson, has, he's an artist from the UK and he's living in Japan for nine months. And he's been recording a lot of sounds throughout Japan. And this is this. They're actually pretty wonderful. This is the sound of frogs in the rice paddies we were preparing for planting in Minami Izu. Mm, planting what? I guess they were planting rice in the rice paddies. Okay. Yeah. Or were All they right. planting well, frogs? I don't know. Mm, I don't know. No. I don't know. Planting frogs. Maybe planting sheep. Yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, everybody, enjoy the field recording, and until uh, next week. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.